We here at Zilch are sorry to hear of the passing of Steve Blauner. Without Steve Blauner, our culture would not be the same. Maybe no Bobby Darren, maybe no monkeys, maybe no independent films, maybe no new monkeys. We thank you for all that you brought us. May you rest in peace. What number is this, Chip? Episode 35. The Monkeys Pilot. Here come the monkeys! <laughs> okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a monkeys podcast. Now, it's time for Zilch. Z-I-L-C-H. Hey, it's time for Zilch. And with that familiar music, you know you are listening to Your Monkeys Podcast, Zilch. And right now, I'm joined by Jeff Hewlett. Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing out there in listener land? And Craig Cohen. Hey, hey, I am not a monkey, but I've met a couple. Well, there you go. I've, I've well, acted you look like, like one. <laughs> and you act like one, too. Uh, I'm sure you guys have all heard that birthday thing sung before. This is going to be a very cool and interesting episode. That much I can assure you, listeners. Today we're looking at an episode that maybe not everybody loves, but they really should pay attention to it because I feel that this is the most important Monkeys TV show ever made. The reason being is it's the pilot episode that we're going to be discussing. And not like an airline pilot, right? No. You mean like the first show produced? Yes. Oh, okay, good. And the name of this episode is? Here Come the Monkeys. There you go. The reason I say this is the most important one is that had this not been made or produced, we would have no Last Train to Clarksville. We would have nothing that we have now. It would have just died in the cradle, right, guys? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it would, be, would have been one of those things like uh, you know, the Trek. first. Yeah, like the first pilot didn't sell, so they got a bunch of new people. They recast it, and and we would have four different monkeys. Maybe leave it to you two to take a four-minute opening to. <laughs> We've only just begun, Ken. Can you imagine a Mike Nesmith who just sits around at home getting high off of um, Whiteout? <laughs> That's probably <what> does now. <laughs> oh my God! All righty, so. This is where it all started, folks, and today we're going to break it down. Melanie Mitchell and Sarah Clark will be joined by some very cool people. And I understand that you two are going to set up the screening in the Monkeys Commentary Theater, correct, Craig? Yeah, I have, I have to go get the keys out of lockup for the, uh, the ColorCast Commentary Theater, get everybody a fresh uh, beverage, and queue up the, uh, the episode. Excellent. Very interesting thing happened today on the Facebook page. And a gentleman by the name of Brian Harwell joined. And we got to talking back and forth on the Facebook page. And he mentioned that he had sold me my copy of the Rhino's Handmade Live 1967 box set. Amazing. It's a small world after all. Very small. Yeah. So, hello, Brian Harwell and everybody that's joining us over on the Facebook page. Zilch Monkeys page there. We are glad you are there. Well, while you two gentlemen go set up the reel for the next commentary track in the Monkeys Colorcast Commentary Theater, we will turn it over to Sarah Clark and Melanie Mitchell and some friends to discuss the Monkeys pilot episode. Here come the monkeys. 
Well, folks, recently on the Independent Film Channel, we all got to monkey around, and it was really cool because we got to monkey around together. I'm joined by a nice selection of cool monkey people, monkey friends. We have Jamie Hitchcock. Hello. Megan Stemwade. Hello. Sarah Clark. Bonjour. And Melanie Mitchell. <laughs> Hello. Now, this was a very cool thing, and I think we're kind of in our third renaissance, in a sense, because that's there's a sentence, if I ever heard one. It seems like we are in our third renaissance of the monkeys coming back on TV. They're on Antenna TV, they're on Family Net, and now they're on the Independent Film Channel. What do you think of this? Megan Stemwade, we'll start with you. You know, I find it exciting and really wonderful for all the monkeys fans and for new monkey fans to get in there and see the show on tv i also can't help my little sort of cynical media person sort of wondering like what has brought this about onto ifc at this point um and what the hipsters might do with the monkeys i'm interested to see that so and mm. kind of scared but it's really it's very very cool interesting that you mentioned the hipster thing because it the independent film channel is a great place for the monkeys because the money that was made from the monkeys basically went on to finance Rafelson and Schneider's other films yes. like, you know, five mm-hmm. easy pieces and so on and so forth. Right. And one might say changing the face of Hollywood if you want to be bombastic like that. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The monkeys invented new Hollywood. That's right. There you go. And country music. Thank you, Ian Lee. But, uh, <laughs> so it seems like a great fit as far as a cultural thing that's happening. So I think this might be good that the monkeys are going to get a bit of their just desserts and just do's, if you will. Jamie Hitchcock, what do you think about it all? It is about time, honestly. It seems that they roll around once every decade, almost, because, of course, you have the original 60s run. There were the reruns in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, the 80s when they exploded. Very briefly, I think they were on in the 90s, but that I don't know if I want to count that or not, because TV Land only showed them for one day, mm-hmm. which that made me mad because I had to work and I missed it. <laughs> um, and You've, you've still not it, gotten over the sting. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I, I have actually been without monkeys on basic cable since about since about the 80s, honestly, if you want a, a steady a steady run. Got to have my fix, you know. But it's nice to see them coming back around for every for every generation, in a sense, because the, the few people that got to see them during a quick run on TV Land or Nick at Night in the 90s and the 80s, you know, they got interested and kept on and got other other people interested, hopefully. And this way... Let's see. They well, they've been on Antenna TV for a while, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, my market does not have Antenna TV. Um, but mm-hmm. we have Me TV used to have them, and then and when we got Me TV, they moved to Antenna TV, which we didn't have. So I was like, oh, so close. But it's nice to have them in several different markets, so everybody can watch them again and enjoy it. And for people like us, we get to kind of relive childhood in a way the excitement of oh boy they're on i can i can watch this um and for new people they get introduced to new music um a whole new whole new genre of comedy in a way Mm because it's sort of like a live action cartoon if you really want to think about it like that Mm -hmm. but it it, it's nice It, it it's kind of a timeless show and i'm glad to see it roll back around again for new generations to join all of us in our monkey business so to speak 
I agree 100% and I think it's very cool that somebody out there for the first time is going to fall in love with Davy. Come on fellas, let's go. Davey. For the first time today. Yeah, for the first time today, exactly. <laughs> Almost 50 years after it aired originally. It's kind of neat. And Princess Gwen. Yes, yes. and Princess Gwen. That's true. Hey, man, what a groovy-looking chick with a body like that. I've never oh, seen those sons. So. <laughs> Sarah and Melanie, I'm kind of proud of you, too, because you kind of held down the fort on Memorial Day while the Monkey's Marathon was airing on IFC. You guys kind of did a live play-by-play commentary uh, kind of thing back and forth with all the listeners who are on our Facebook page. It was really cool. And I was at a Memorial Day party, and it was neat just to pick up my phone every so often and read you guys pinging back and forth. It was really cool. Yeah, it, it just kind of was a spontaneous thing, and it was a lot of fun. So, And we got into talking about all the different variants of the episodes. It was interesting because some of them pulled from very different sources that we've seen on TV over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had some very grainy um, uh, syndication releases. We had music from different seasons and eras and rerun cycles. They had Shades of Grey and Success Story, which made me happy because I wanted a version of that episode in good condition with Shades of Grey for ages. Uh Um, But some of them were in much better shape than we've seen in years. Uh, Davey and Fern, Fern and Davey, I always say that backwards or forwards, they had the uncensored version of the scene with Fern in her bikini. Uh Uh-huh. That's definitely enough to get my interest. Jamie, you were talking about uh, the clarity on Facebook earlier today. Yeah, the, the Davy and Fern episode is a great example of... Uh, that's even better, I think, Melanie mentioned. I think that's even better than what we got broadcast originally. Uh-huh. It's definitely better than what we've gotten on any Rhino release because I got the VHS set when it came out, and I've got one of the issues of the DVDs, and that episode on all of those releases is washed out, almost oversaturated, and of course they've got that that key scene when Davy sees Fern in the beauty pageant that it's cropped up ridiculously high and there's this terrible stupid blur across the bottom. She's <laughs> unnecessarily censored. Yeah. There's there's nothing there's nothing weird about her being in a bikini, but for some reason I guess the censors just weren't happy. I don't know, but um the print that we got on IFC was just gorgeous. Everything's the right color, the, the contrast, the clarity. But on the flip side, they pulled in your friendly neighborhood kidnappers, for example. There is one scene that is just, it's just like it is on, unfortunately, the Rhino releases. The last train to Clarksville performance at the very end is oversaturated and bright yellow. And I'm not, you know, it, it, it's terrible. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, it's on all the Rhino releases like that. But I cannot pull from my memory if it was on the 80s syndication run like that. Uh, I'm hoping not. I'm hoping they find a better print. Later on down the line, Monkeys in Paris. I know there is a really gorgeous print of that out there that unfortunately is not in any of the Rhino releases. But I hope that they use that one in the syndicated run. And I still hope for all the bells and whistles for a new improved 50th anniversary box set maybe kind of as a result of all this 
they're on three different networks on basic maybe that's a hint towards mm-hmm. an anniversary thing you, you and i are thinking the same thing jamie because i can't help but think that they were pl- ifc was playing batman in that i think those exact same time slots are going to be playing them on saturday and sunday mm-hmm. and a couple of months into the run what do they do but release that gorgeous 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 batman box set which everybody listening needs to go get if you don't have already <laughs> I have a mighty need. <laughs> and since you said it three it's, times, I agree, I agree, I agree. It is fantastic. If I, may, if I may jump in for a second and, and comment on the Too Many Girls, Davy and Fern uh, censored scene, mm-hmm. um, the censoring was not just visually as far as cropping um, Fern's lovely body out of the picture and blurring what little was left. Um, they actually had to recut that scene because there were so many shots of her a full body for all the way from her head down to her high heels. So the uh, version of the scene that was actually broadcast on NBC was the censored version and it didn't make quite as much sense. Um, This uncensored version not only has the visual improvement but it also has the original editing so the scene actually flows better, it fits the story better. It's not quite as choppy. Mm-hmm. So we're actually seeing something better than what they saw on NBC back in 1966. Excellent. Well, I think I can speak for everyone here that we hope that we are looking towards a 50th anniversary Blu-ray slash DVD kind of thing. And we hope that Andrew Sandoval's uh, working on it. It would be so nice. It would seem like he would be the natural fit. He certainly knows what we want as Monkey fans. Would we all agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, exactly. I hope they ha- They need to have him on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> if they have any sense. But, oh, Rhino, if you are listening, oh, good Rhino, oh, sweet Rhino, please, <laughs> yeah, I know, I gotta throw back that commercial, uh, please put out a, a proper Blu-ray and high-quality DVD box set for the 50th. We will promote the heck out of it on this show, and mm-hmm. we won't even, you know, for just because we would be so thrilled and we love you and we love you and thank you (laughs) so i think that it is cool that we all got to do this together on a kind of national monkeying around kind of thing we all did it live we all got to check facebook and monkey around together so that was very cool Mm -hmm. well thank you for being part of this little discussion and i think it's time to play a commercial for a really cool book Written by Melanie Mitchell. Hi, Zilch fans. This is Melanie Mitchell. Be sure to check out my book, Monkey Magic, a book about a TV show about a band. It's a lighthearted review and companion for the TV show that made the 60s fun. The paperback is available online from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and the ebook can be bought anywhere that fine ebooks are sold. Check out the Monkey Magic Facebook page. Follow me on Tumblr at bluemoonalto.tumblr.com and listen for my contributions here on Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Hi, Sarah Clark here with a quick shout out to our monkey man Zach's dad, Clarence Mortensen. Like Zach, Clarence has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a disease where the muscles in the heart become too thick to pump effectively. 
Unlike Zack, Clarence is still working to resolve some other health problems so he can be listed for his new heart. Right now, Clarence is in the hospital dealing with a hernia and some kidney issues. Everyone at Zilch would like to offer our thoughts and prayers to Clarence for a quick recovery. Also, Zack and the Zilch team have a quick homework assignment for you. In addition to getting to know Zack, several members of the Zilch team, myself included, have friends and family who have either had organ transplants or who are on the list currently. If you want to be a monkey man like Zach, take a moment to visit www.organdonor.gov or the organ donor registry in your own country to sign up today to be an organ donor. And now, on with the show! Good evening, Zilch Podcast listeners. Monkey Magic author Melanie Mitchell here. I have often been accused of being somewhat obsessive about the monkeys as a TV show. All I can say to that is, guilty as charged. For the record, there is no one episode of the monkeys that has caused me as many sleepless nights and wasted work days as the show's pilot episode, Here Come the Monkeys. No other single episode... No album, no song, no concert had such a crucial role in ensuring the success of the monkeys. And yet, Here Come the Monkeys is perhaps best known for how great a failure it very nearly was. So I invite you all to set the controls on your Wayback Machines, all the way back to 1965, when two young and untested would-be television producers first set out to turn network TV on its ear. We'll be doing the color cast commentary for this episode later. But for now, I have assembled a panel of good friends to obsess about the pilot as a pilot. They will obsess so I don't have to. Let me introduce you to the panel. To my left is the charming and delightful Sarah Clark. Sarah is a Ph.D. candidate in Educational Leadership and Policy Studies. She is the proprietor of the Fandom Lenses blog, and in addition to her co-hosting gig on the Zilch podcast, she is the chief moderator and cat herder of the Zilch Facebook group. Good evening, Sarah. Good evening. I hope I live up to that introduction. You always do. Aw. To my right is the delightful and charming Megan Stem Wade. Megan has a master's degree in media and cinema studies, which means she outranks all of us. And she previously appeared on Zilch episodes 5 and 23. She is, to the best of my knowledge, the first person to ever publicly compare the monkeys to the Golden Girls. Hello, Megan. Hi, Melanie. I hope you have some new and interesting comparisons for us tonight. <laughs> I'll try. And to my charming and delightful is the uh, uh, left, Jamie Hitchcock. She is an artist, cosplayer, puppeteer, knitter of green wool hats, and the second most awesome person to have ever appeared in public wearing a Princess Gwen costume. She previously appeared in Zilch episode 15. Hello, Jamie. Hello, hello. I am in esteemed company on all counts. Absolutely, and we're so glad you're here. I really appreciate you agreeing to help me get my geek on tonight. Topic the first. Before you have a pilot, you have to have a pitch. And if the pitch for this TV series was 
American Beatles on TV, how well did the pilot deliver on that promise? And if you were pitching the series to the networks yourself, how would you have described it? Jamie, why don't you take the lead on this one? Considering the time that they were assembling all of this, well, we're still in the throes of Beatlemania. Uh, A Hard Day's Night came out the year previous. Help just came out that summer. Now, and I'm a Beatle fan, and if I were a Beatle fan then, I would glom on to the idea of American Beatles. This sounds intriguing. You know, guitar groups are in. This sounds fun. I would be interested, and I would say with the original pilot that they, in that form, they came close. It, it wasn't quite polished enough yet, say, as the series progressed later on, and maybe not quite as much as, say, the script for help. It probably could have used a little more of that, in a sense. But it would have, it would have my attention. Do you think it would have had your attention as a network executive? As a network executive, it could go either way. Um, trying to put myself in, you know, big wig shoes like that, I would think, well, this is where the money's at. The kids will like this because look at how popular they are. Look at all the groups. Look at all the long hairs coming out of England. I mean, at that time, London, Carnaby Street, everything was coming out of England, and that was the epicenter of everything that was awesome in the world. You had a new sound, you had a new look. Well, this this could be good. This could be good for ratings. Um, on the flip side, you could always have that executive that say, no, it'll never last. Guitar groups are on their way out. This is terrible, but I'm glad that they, I'm glad that they went with the, you know, maybe the first choice and said, yeah, we could make a buck off this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> There were other TV shows being pitched that summer um, that it's kind of safe to say that there probably would have been some music-oriented TV show on the air the following fall. If it hadn't been this one, it probably would have been something else. Any other thoughts on the, the pitch? I mean, I mean, there were aspects of American Beatles on TV to the pilot, but I, if we were going for accuracy, I probably would say something more along the lines of, the Marx Brothers is a struggling rock band, but I agree that American Beatles on TV is going to sell much better in 1965, and that's definitely how I market it. Mm-hmm. I think that when you look at the script to the first pilot that was shot to what was eventually sold and then aired, um, that I think that there was obviously a great desire to be somewhat like a hard day's night in the beginning but as it gets edited and cut and whittled and added to it becomes something very different um but i think the pitch probably got them in the door uh, Mm -hmm. and they ended up with a very different product in the end yeah yes Mm -hmm. the um fact that they it's often compared to hard day's night but help just came out right about the same time that um, Mazursky and Tucker were, were writing the pilot script. There was a sort of shift in the series itself was much more about fantasy and much less about running away from your fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the other shows that were being pitched, according to Mickey, there was a, a Beach Boys sort of show, which I think would have been very commercial considering, you know, you're filming in California, you get a bunch of toe-headed uh, cute boys who can surf kind of thing. And there was also a Peter, Paul, and Mary kind of group that was had a, a at least a treatment, if not an actual pilot. Mickey talks about shopping around the scripts, you know, going to auditions for other things. 
the time was ripe for something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to look at the landscape of the other shows that were either starting around 65 or still popular in 65. I think I Dream of Jeannie started that year. Bewitched was on um, the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of sort of fantasy that's starting to creep into the TV. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of magic that's happening on TV. But I think we had sort of the perfect storm for something for the teenagers. Exactly. Exactly. Rafelson says that the idea for the show is much older than the Beatles, that he was actually dreaming about making a a TV show about a musical group um, and their adventures as they try to find success way back in the 50s. And it's based on his own experiences traveling with an itinerant group of musicians in Mexico. So I'm wondering if if the the pitch would have been different if, if it hadn't been for Beatlemania. I'm not sure if it would have sold. I mean, I'd like to think it would have, but I think television, at least in that era, was kind of like a step or two behind this general zeitgeist. So I think they needed that um, push of the Beatles and the rise of the guitar bands to say, okay, we could build a successful sitcom concept around this. Mm-hmm. But ironically, the show that they ended up making was closer to Rafelson's original vision of the struggling musicians having adventures. Exactly, yeah. Right. But then he was the hand on the tiller, so it kind of makes sense. (laughs) Exactly. Once he sold it, as long as the ratings were okay, he could pretty much, you know, steer the ship where it needed to go. Mm -hmm. Me, you must be joking. Hi there. Hello, love. When Patrick Henry was in Virginia... He made made a speech we all recall. He said to the people of a Charlottetown, United we stand, divided we fall. You're evil. You're going to take us alive. So after they had the pitch and they started working on making the pilot, um, they did uh, open casting call and gathered their potential monkeys from many different places. And I'm going to ask you guys to listen to a recording that our podfather Ken Mills put together. Um, This is taken from the audition scenes. And what we've done is we've spliced together four different repeats of the same scene, but with different combinations of actors. So you're going to hear the four monkeys, but you're also going to hear the other four guys who made it to the final audition sequence. I just want you to listen to this because we're going to hear the same set of lines repeated by four different sets of people. Look, you didn't hang her up. She got hung up. What's the difference? She's in trouble. So what do you want to do? I want to help her. Sure you want to help her. I'd like to help SJ, too, but I can't. He's feeble-minded. Hey, knock it off, fellas. Hey, Wendell's right. We should help Vanessa. Well, look, it's not your problem. She got herself hung up. What's the difference? She's in trouble. So what do you want to do? I want to help her. Sure you want to help her. I want to help SJ, but I can't. He's feeble-minded. Knock it off. Wendell's right. We should help Vanessa. Oh, hey, look. She got hung up, man. You didn't hang her up. What's the difference? She's in trouble. Okay. So what do you want to do? I want to help her. Sure you want to help her. I want to help SJ, too, but I can't. He's feeble-minded. Hey, knock it off. Wendell's right. We should help Vanessa. Look, you didn't hang her up. She got hung up. What's the difference? She's in trouble. So what do you want to do? I want to help her. Sure you want to help her. I want to help SJ too, but I can't. He's feeble-minded. 
Come on, knock it off, fellas. Wendell's right. We should help Vanessa. Okay, so that was the same scene four times. Have you guys watched this on, on YouTube before or on the Criterion set? Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times on YouTube and on my Criterion set. It's really interesting to see the all the different actors and the actors who didn't make the final cut. I've tried very hard to be objective as I watched it because obviously I have all my strong feels for our four guys. But I have to say, you know, they all have an energy that clearly the producers saw in them. And it just comes out in watching these combinations of guys, you know, switch around that the four of them just really stand out. And I can see, you know, completely why they were chosen. They have an energy with each other, a chemistry that, you know, they just really pop out of the screen. Agreed. Sarah, um, listening to those, did you notice anything particular about the monkeys when they were in roles that were not the roles they actually played on the show? It messes with the head because I think at one point we hear uh, Peter in the Davy role, which was quite hilarious. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's super funky. Yeah, you can't you can't buy Nez as feeble minded. I'm sorry, not in any universe. He tried. Mirror <laughs> universe monkeys. <laughs> they all have goatees. <laughs> I've also was pondering whether they could have switched some of the instruments around. Uh, I think actually Davy and Mickey maybe could have switched spots if Davy had been four inches taller and from Manchester, New Hampshire instead of Manchester, England. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, Davy had kind of the sweet stars in all the girls' eyes thing, but Mickey, I mean, you can see him on the stage this day. He just brings so much energy when he does get to get out behind the drums and kind of be the front man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. I totally agree. And Davy has so much charm and, you know, there's so much that's coming out, even in these, you know, very rough um, screen tests. And I think he could have done so much more than just be that heartthrob. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Me, you must be joking. I noticed in the um, scenes that we just listened to that they paired people off and that in both instances, Mickey and Davy were paired together. And one of the things that fascinates me about that scene, we couldn't hear it, but you can see it if you watch it, that when they do the Mickey and Peter coming through the door, he's a bird brain section of the of the scene, they're doing some business with Davy's hat. Oh, with his hat. I love uh-huh. that business with his hat. And yeah. I just imagine that the two of them must have practiced that quite a bit to get the timing down before they appeared on the set. It's really very impressive. And it, Yeah, I think it's telling of the relationship they were already building together they must have sparked and and you know that they would want to do figure out a bit together you know Mm -hmm. and and mickey i mean he doesn't say anything specifically about that spot but in his uh memoir i mean he talks a great deal about how the two of them pretty much clicked immediately and you know i can totally see them off in a corner trying to do that stuff especially as the audition process started narrowing down Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And I have to say, I think that Davy may have been the one to instigate that. Not only was it his hat they were playing with, but he did do um, some sort of hat business when he was playing the Artful Dodger in uh, Oliver. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he'd had some experience doing the, you know, knock the hat off, catch the hat, put the hat back on kind of business on the stage, which means he was doing it, you know, what, eight shows a week, knew exactly what he was doing. 
I, I, I imagine that that was his business that he taught to Mickey, not the other way around. But they may have worked it out together. One of the actors that we hear in that scene, Bill Calloway, was actually in one of the Monkeys episodes. Uh, he was one of the foreign agents in um, yeah. the audition, the tall, mm-hmm. deep-voiced fellow who worked oh. with Peter. And wow. I think I think some of them appeared in crowd scenes, too. Um, so they were still around. The, the, the maybe could have been, might have been monkeys in another alternate <laughs> universe. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Listening to that scene, you hear the reference to um, SJ. Um, I'd like to help SJ, but I can't. He's feeble-minded. Somebody on the um, Facebook group asked the other day, was SJ really feeble-minded in the, in the pilot, or was that just a friendly insult? I mean, the Peter character end up would end up being the bird brain that everyone predicted he would be. But um, in that scene, listening to those other three actors reading that same line, you don't hear that sense of, you know, well, duh, I really am dumb kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like just friendly ribbing, really. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now we've got our, our cast and we've made our pilot. How well does the pilot represent the series that was eventually made? Not very much. <laughs> and honestly, if it if the pilot had represented the series that was eventually made, I don't think we'd be having this conversation because I don't think the show would have survived 13 episodes, much less two seasons. And, you know, I had a lot of great talking points for this discussion, but then Nez went and got, uh, did a podcast with Gilbert Gottfried and stole a lot of my material for this part. <laughs> curse you, we, Nez! Yes! Curse you! <laughs> I think we actually have that recording. Shall we play that now? Sure. What happened was this. The screenplay, instead of it being... Uh, ironic and funny it became sardonic and angry it was it it mocked and so the four main characters were assholes they were just jerks nobody liked them nobody wanted to be around them or anything they were written into the screenplay so that they were in everybody's face and everybody's hair and it was just a uh, a uh, a very unpleasant kind of thing and it never got funny in the aired version of the pilot, even what we saw on NBC, those twerps were insufferable until the time it came to aid a young girl with her homework in order to get their gig slash date. I mean, you could watch the monkeys of Royal Flush and really the rest of the first season at least with your parents in the room. You couldn't have done that with the monkeys of the pilot. Somehow, in the rewriting process, in the re-envisioning of the series between pilot and premiere, they made them more subtle without neutering them. Because at the, at the end of the day, they still make a very powerful statement about the youth. Mm-hmm. It's rather well known that the pilot failed. They showed it to a test audience and it got horrible reviews. They just didn't like it at all for reasons that Nez just described and you just described. They had to go back and fix it. And so they did some major changes to the original pilot to produce what we ended up seeing. Most famously, they put the uh, screen tests on actually at the beginning for the test audience, but they put it at the end when it was aired. So uh, Megan, uh, 
what did you think about what they had to do to fix the pilot to to make it saleable? It's it's interesting because if you look if you're looking at it very broadly, um, the changes aren't obvious. But as I started to dig into the script um, versus the um, the sort of reworked version that was included on um, Rhino's box set versus, you know, the version that eventually was aired on NBC is like episode 10. Um, you see that like some, a number of very small things are called out of it and it, and they together are really large <laughs> in terms of tone and in terms of just turning this um, sort of group of boys who, and there's, and it's sort of like, you know, do, are they the main characters? Is this sort of a family drama about the Russells? You know, what's happening exactly? Um, the changes that they made put the focus a little bit more on the monkeys or at least Davy and Davy's relationship with Vanessa. Um, they make them a little less mercenary. Um, and it's, it's an interesting little group of changes that they had to make. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a child, when I first saw the pilot, you know, and I saw it probably broadcast in its broadcast order perhaps it just seemed like kind of a weird episode that seemed like the monkeys out of time a little bit um but i just sort of accepted it as you know part of the canon i suppose um but you know looking at it now it it feels very different than the rest of the series as pilots Mm -hmm. tend to jamie have you had a chance to look at the pilot script I looked through the script and I realized that my notes, because I was marking and noting different things, there were a lot of things that I put margin notes that said, no, 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 WTF, no, no, absolutely not. Um, Because really looking, comparing the script even to the uh, original version of the pilot, these, Mike is right. These guys were jerks. Um, they they really were always in your face, and they. I understand that it was it was a big gamble. First of all, I guess for a network to produce a show where there are young people who have no actual adult supervision. Um, we kind of sort of had Rudy, but Rudy was sort of on the edge. He was supposed to be their manager and running the record store, I guess kind of like Brian Epstein did for the Beatles, you know. Um, but they hated every adult I think they came in contact with. Everybody <laughs> was a target of their ridicule. You're evil. It didn't matter. They get snarky about having to do a Sweet 16 party until they find out how much money they're going to make. But then they're snarky towards the guard. They're snarky towards the man who is going to pay them, towards the patrons of the country club, towards these random people on the street. I I just want to grab them and shake them and say, no, 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 boys. This is not how you make friends. You're supposed to be, (laughs) listen to your own theme song. You are supposed to be too busy singing to put anybody down. So stop, go get in the corner. Testify. (laughs) I didn't realize, you know, how bad it was until I started reading the script and going, these are not my monkeys. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to describe a scene from the pilot script. I assume that it actually we know it was filmed because we've actually seen a tiny piece of it. It involves the four monkeys uh, bursting through a door together, all of them dressed in trench coats and carrying their guitar cases as if they were guns and then pretending to fire their guitar cases at the, the camera. 
It appears at the end of the episode, The Spy Who Came In From The Cool, right before Madame gets tied up by her Chinese spy masters. That's where we saw it. So we know this was filmed. This is actually from the pilot. And what we don't see is the context of that scene. It's right at the beginning of the pilot in the script. Um, the monkeys arrive at the record store where their manager is the owner. And they meet out on the sidewalk and then burst through the door together, suddenly addressed in these trench coats and carrying the guitar cases and pretending to shoot people. And then they start yelling out threats. I've got a laser in my shoe. I've got a poison dart in my ring. And all of the patrons in the record store are terrified. And a little old lady screams. And that's when the opening music starts. This is how the pilot <laughs> began. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's I, so I... strange. I think it's a weird... Perhaps it's a weird way too topical, you know, attempt to sort of bring in some elements of Get Smart and some James Bond. I think Dr. No maybe came out a couple years before this. I'm not positive. But, you know, I think it's that kind of stuff was in the zeitgeist at the time of like spies and secret, you know, weapons and stuff. But it's and it seems feels very crowbarred in and, Mm. you know, cut for good reason. The thing that sort of flips me out is that I had a poster that I bought at Spencer Gifts in like 1986 of basically a still from that scene of them in trench coats holding their guitar cases. Had that in my bedroom for like five years and never knew. Yeah, isn't that crazy? (laughs) (laughs) It always seemed to me like I don't know where this fits in in the whole monkey's world, but it was one that I had forever and ever. So here it was, this strange excised piece of the pilot. My, my notes, uh, I've written in bright purple marker, this whole scene makes them seared, w- seem weirdly hostile. And it really <laughs> does. It's like, no, 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 you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be non-threatening. Mom and dad are supposed to like you. We're supposed to be able to sit down and say, look, mom and dad, look at these wonderful boys. No, they're busting in a record store, threatening people. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to throw this thought into the mix. think I recently um, watched the movie a hard day's night and i realized that there is some of that sort of being rude to the grown-ups in the beatles behavior in a hard day's night the way Mm -hmm. they talk to the people at the tv studio the way they talk to the people who are interviewing them um the way they talk to people on the train there's there is that sort of you know pardon us but we're going to be rude right now kind of um, behavior So I think that may have been a little bit of the flavor they were shooting for. I think the difference is that the the Beatles had sort of earned that place by being successful. Mm -hmm. And also you can get away with a lot more when you have British accents. (laughs) Exactly. That is true. Very true. (laughs) Yeah. and, And also you were trying to make this whole British invasion, you know, rise of the new rock sound, you know, palatable and acceptable to middle America to get it to, you know, play in Peoria, not just with the kids, but with the adults, because they were the ones who owned the TV set and could decide what was going to get played on it. So they had to figure out that middle ground of making them relatable to the kids, but not threatening to the adults. Right. 
Hi. Uh, tonight, the, we're a minute short as usual, so we're going to show you two spontaneous, unrehearsed uh, screen tests that were done of Mike and Davey before the monkeys, we started filming, before we like knew what was all going to happen. These were two screen tests that we did, and they're in black and white, so don't worry, the color is okay. What do you talk so much for? There was um, another thing that got excised out of the pilot, and it has... It doesn't really have anything to do with why the pilot was a failure, but it just sort of shows how the pilot had to be sliced and diced in order to make room for the screen tests. You may recall from the opening scene of the uh, pilot as we saw it, which is the man on the street interview, Mm -hmm. Uh, that Mm -hmm. scene ended with uh, Dr. Lionel Turner grabbing a random little old lady on the corner and, and using her as a way to get across the street, and then she charges him. I think 15 cents or something like that for the for the privilege that may have seemed sort of random but actually that was the third step in a multi-step running gag because that was actually the third time in the episode that she had been dragged across the street against her will the first time it was Davy who did it the second time it was a customer in the record store after he bought a, a monkey's record because it was real head-banging music and then the, the the scene, the man on the street scene actually happened halfway through the episode in the original edit. And so she was so fed up with this back and forth and back and forth thing that she finally started charging the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we did lose some of the humor because of the editing that had to be done. In the, that particular scene with the man on the street, as I said, it happened in the middle of the episode. And what you don't realize if you're not paying attention, and I never noticed it, was that Rudy and Mr. Russell are both in that scene. Rudy, their manager, and the father of the 16-year-old girl are in that scene. They're actually on the right-hand side of the screen uh, while the monkeys are pulling off their little caper, you know, pretending to be beating each other to death. And Mr. Russell is looking horrified, and Rudy is laughing. (laughs) Rudy's just like, oh, boys. Here they go again. (laughs) Those rascals. (laughs) What did I do? I don't know, man, but don't do it again. (laughs) Well, let's talk about what elements of the eventual series had to be changed after the pilot and what elements were in the pilot that got dropped. And I think the first thing would be Rudy. Bye, Um, Rudy. (laughs) Again? Yeah, quite clearly Rudy's role is gone, you know, once we get to the regular series. Um, An argument could be made that Mr. Babbitt, their eventual landlord, has a similar kind of feel in the, I think, three times that he shows up. But for the most part, the idea of the guys having somebody who's keeping tabs on them, helping them find work, all that kind of stuff is just gone. They don't have that adult supervision, which like Peter so famously has discussed as being an important sort of cultural moment on TV. So that's a big thing. With Rudy goes Jill, his daughter, who, you know, when you're watching the pilot and you don't know about all of the the, the um, script and everything, you don't know who this random girl is anyway, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is unfortunate because, you know, it's nice to see this sort of capable nice girl in the in the show who's sort of their friend and helping them out but she's gone you know and and we talked about I think in in our previous conversation about the show Melanie Ken and I about some of the things that we you know wished had been in the show more and I've talked about how I I would have enjoyed more of a sense of community around the monkeys maybe some Mm -hmm. more characters who showed up 
again and again. It's interesting to watch the pilot and see all of these people talking about the monkeys, whole long scenes that the monkeys aren't in, but people are talking about them. That doesn't really happen anymore as we get into the rest of the series, as the series is squarely, you know, focused on them. So that's that's a big change, um, that it goes from a little bit of a standard kind of almost family sitcom feeling to something very different where we have these four guys living together in their pad and, you know, all on their own. So that's a mm-hmm. big change. Yeah. One thing that I noticed was that in the pilot, um, they had an old Woody, an old yes. wood, wood, wood-paneled <laughs> station wagon mm-hmm. that... Davy had to climb out the window because the back door wouldn't open. And I think that's a very impressive little bit of contortionism he pulls off there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they made the series, they suddenly had a really fancy car. <laughs> and now where we know where all car? their money went. <laughs> yeah. yep. That $150 they got. For <laughs> yeah. And they also got a nicer pad, or, I mean, arguably... Um, they got a bigger pad or at least a very different pad, you know, um, when, yeah. when we move into the rest of the series. Um, the the series of the pilot is uh, clearly a, like second story um, structure. It has a view of the beach just like the pad will going forward. But it's, you know, decorated differently and it seems to be, you know, quite a different place. Although I think if I recall correctly, that pad is kind of in or at least some exterior shots are featured in um, Gift Horse episode, which I think was filmed early on. Correct me yep. if I'm wrong. That was the first one, yeah. That was the first one, yeah. So they're oh, still kind of transitioning out of that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so some of the like essentials that we come to know as like, part of the Monkey's universe, those things aren't quite there yet. Jamie, how did you feel about changes from the, from the pilot to the series? I'm glad that they made the changes. I mean, they're a lot more, they're a lot more polished, um, the, they softened the boys up somewhat, actually, so that they they don't seem to hate authority at every single turn. They they respect their elders enough, you know, they're not going to harass them and get in their face. If they're wrong, they might give them a hard time. Uh, like, for instance, you know, King Otto and Royal Flush and the Usurper. But you know, they're <laughs> they're trying to they're trying to help a damsel in distress. They're trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the the pad changes I, I I actually prefer because the old the pilot version it seems like a very crowded frat house and while the the series pad is still kind of like a frat house it's a little more open and not so compacted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's room yeah. for them to ride a bicycle around if they need to. Exactly, you have to have room to ride your, your bicycle, your unicycle, exactly. and bring in your horse. I'm not a horse. I'm a monkey. So. <laughs> You never know when you're going to find a horse just wandering around the beach. Yeah, you, just, you never know. That'd and you also need a stage on one end. You know, that's yeah. important. Yeah, yeah that's, that's important. Like, so. I, think the, I think the pilot of, of the um, of the pad in the pilot was an actual house. Um, it, it matches in floor plan the exterior, that white high mm-hmm. up of the beach house um, has the same window placement and rough size as what we saw on the interior. I get the impression that, you know, it is rather cramped, but it's a lovely place. I, I love, I love the look of it. Um, the, the monkey's pad, as it, we saw it in the series, while it's much more spacious is also kind of, I think kind of cold, very clearly has a, a concrete floor. 
Yeah. And, and the walls look almost like rough concrete, too. Yeah, it, gonna, it feels a bit about like the stage that it, stage set that it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm go, I'm going to read a description from the script of what the interior of the pad was supposed to look like, and the main reason I want to do this is because it's really very random. I mean, there's a lot of incredible details here, and I what I'm looking for is you know what does this tell us about who Mazursky and Tucker thought the monkeys would be? So this is how it is described in the um, script. It is a large one-room house. The room is a reflection of the characters of the four boys. There are pop art posters on one wall, a large photo of Jean Moreau on another wall, a collage of newspaper items from various papers, every item about an incident at a zoo involving monkeys, a large bulletin board that reads, Bulletin Board! with a chalk-marked inscription underneath reading, Rest Today. Over the door leading to the outside is a large Spanish church bell, which gongs loudly whenever someone enters. Facing the porch windows is a long row of plant boxes containing Wool Hat's herb garden. He takes meticulous care of it. In the pot is a Mexican piñata in the shape of a turkey. In the center of the room is a large Spanish dining table, which serves as an all-purpose table for the boys. The room is not dirty, but it is in constant disarray. A stuffed suit with head and glasses and gloves sits in a chair, reading. That's the end of the description. So, Sarah, what do you think of that? (laughs) This was not a reflection of the characters of the four boys. This was a reflection of Bob Rafelson. I bet you $10 he either wrote this description or it was adapted by Mazursky et al. from his notes. You've got nods to the French New Wave. You've got all these Mexican and Spanish touches that had to be a throwback to the original plan for the series. The uh, Herb Garden... (laughs) it's different in details from the pad obviously but it is very similar in tone um i do wish they'd kept that spanish spell though that would have been a a heck of a running gag (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh, I don't have any lot to add. I mean, I, I agree with Sarah. I think this is this is Rafelson through and through. Um, I think the Jean Moreau thing is really funny. Um, and clearly, I don't think something that um, <laughs> monkeys would have in their pad. But, you know, something that Rafelson, you know, he's showing us that he's very sophisticated. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. And, um, and I, I just want to throw in that I, I think that, you know, I like... I like that at least it, it does sort of establish that these guys are going to have a very eccentric home, which they do. And that along with that poster that I had in my bedroom, I did spend all of eighth grade trying to recreate their pad in my bedroom and oh, wow. various degrees of success. So I felt like I needed <laughs> to discuss that. <laughs> Jamie, because you're into puppets, I'm going to point out that last phrase, a stuffed suit with head and glasses and gloves, sits in a chair reading. Oh. It's Mr. Schneider. 
I I have seen pilot prototype Schneider, and he is very <laughs> frightening. Oh, oh <laughs> nightmare fuel. Yeah, I, burn it, please. I'm sorry because he, he's sort of like he's sort of like Alfred E. Newman on a very bad day. <laughs> yeah, and and poor Mr. Schneider himself further on in the series kind of does have a weird creepy look about him but not nothing compared to his original predecessor so I, i'm not i'm not sure i could i'm not if i were any of them i'm not sure i could keep that in my house and i want to know where in the world rafelson even got the idea for, for for that i'm just i'm curious um but one one funny thing i got to thinking about today thinking about the, the monkey's pad and all of the stuff that's in there Fast forward to other popular sitcoms through history, and you'll notice they kind of started a trend in a way of uh, up to that point, everybody's house on a TV show was very neat and organized. Mm -hmm. There was a certain style. The monkeys were like a pop culture explosion. They liked things. If you look at their walls, there's Humphrey Bogart posters. There's vintage circus posters. Yeah. Uh, there's all sorts of weird knickknacks, Tiffany lamps, whatever. They liked various things and they had it all over the place well let's fast forward to like laverne and shirley look at their two houses uh, or apartments in the show and whenever they had a problem they didn't they didn't have a mr schneider but they had boo boo kitty um fast forward look at the apartments in friends look at uh look at the apartment that sheldon and leonard share on big bang theory i was it, just about to say that yeah it, just look around it there are their personalities sort of in a sense, I guess, on the walls and, and they're collectibles. And it's it's not so much of like the original description, uh, the first script version of the pad, not so much, oh, look how fancy and refined we really are with our junk. Uh, you know, it's just, I like this, it's going on the wall. Okay, cool. That's you. That's your corner. So it's a it might be a representation of each of them. So I, I think that's cool that it kind of, it, it kind of set a standard very subtly if you notice through through the past few decades in popular TV shows. Mm -hmm. It certainly gave them all kinds of directions that they could go with various um, props that, you know, the, the breakaway table with the um, gavel and, and things like that. It, 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 it was very well designed for being, you know, providing them with instant tools for all kinds of yeah. I'm not sure where I'm going with that I'm going to change the subject now <laughs> um, let's let's talk a little bit about the music in the pilot um, they hired Boyce and Hart to write three songs and they used all three of them in the pilot and originally they had Boyce and Hart singing uh, yeah the music is interesting watching the version with the Boyce and Hart music I feel like the energy is so down in, in that version the music I mean it's fine and and, you know, really well done and everything. But, you know, it's just clearly a different game when um, the guys are in there singing. And I know yeah. that, you know, obviously we all know they aren't, you know, picking up the instruments yet on these first few songs. But um, the songs really change character a bit when Mickey and Davey take them over. And I also I want to say that I've noticed watching these back to back and then watching a couple of the first season episodes that there's a lot of music cues that remain mm -hmm. the same. And I think that those are a nice bridge between 
the pilot and, you know, going into the series, um, like the little sort of love theme that plays behind um, Davy and Vanessa when they're on their date. And I think when Davy and Mike are having the heart to heart about how Davy wants to help her, there's sort of some soft cues behind them that I recognize right away as, you know, showing up over and over again in the series. I think it's really nice that they, you know, have established some good um, music there and, you know, keep that going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another another shout out to, to Rhino. I would love maybe as, as like an extra CD with one of the box sets, just a CD of all those little instrumental music interludes. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Me too. I would yeah. love that. don't think of that aspect of the, the music of the show because everybody's focused obviously on the monkey's music. But um, the, the soundtrack of the show as a whole really sets the atmosphere very well. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. And as someone who taped the show onto audio cassettes from the television as a 12-year-old, I really got to know that music really well, as, <laughs> as much as oh, yes. the actual songs. I think it's interesting that one of the Boyce and Hart songs really doesn't get a chance to shine in the pilot because it, it, it's Let's Dance On. And during the entire time that song is playing, there's dialogue going on. Um, the whole dance scene is is full of jokes and interactions between characters and so we don't really hear all that much of the song. It's just sort of on in the background. There's that romp where the four guys are being chased through the halls and back rooms of the uh, country club. That instead of using a, a pop song, we just have rinky-dink piano music going. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not the way the show normally does things when it comes well, to music. I think you have to remember that the pilot was edited even the final version that we saw on nbc was put together before last train to clarksville hit number one on the charts and they realized that was going to be their cash cow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know because i think the original from what i recall it seems like the original vision was it was going to be mostly the tv show but we'll put out some albums and if they sell okay yay but they did not expect the level of success they had and so then started pushing the music harder then they hired kirshner (laughs) 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 i think going back to the the energy in the boys and heart vocals um the Tempos did change when they re-recorded the songs with uh, Mickey and Davey singing, and that's why they actually ended up having to film some little bits of the monkeys performing in 1966, pretending like it was 1965. So if you really watch carefully during um, I Want to Be Free and Let's Dance On, the visuals change a little bit, and if you watch Mike's guitar, it changes color. And so does his hat. Yeah, and that's because they had to re-record whenever somebody was singing that you could see their lips because they had to match the the tempo of the new songs as as they were re-recorded. Yeah, that's fascinating and something I didn't notice until the last year or so, having seen this pilot so many times, you know, over the years, but it was there all the time for me to see, but <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's fairly obvious when you know what to look for. Davy's mm-hmm. hair changes. Um, the logo on the drum is different. Mickey kind of looks like he knows what he's doing back there. You know, so it, it's obviously a year later. And and this is the only time we see Davey pretending to play a guitar on the series. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm wondering why they dropped that. Was it just more fun to watch him shaking maracas or? 
<laughs> I suspect so. <laughs> Here, I baby, think hold my... 15 maracas. <laughs> <laughs> when the pilot got put in front of a test audience and it failed miserably, they went back and re-edited it and cut all kinds of material out of it to make room for two screen tests. And they picked uh, Davies and Mike's screen tests, originally put them on the front, but when they aired it, they put it at the end. But why those two, Megan? Oh, my goodness. Well, um... I think I think the obvious answer, at least for one of them, is I think Davy is British and adorable, and and his screen test is just crackling with his charm. Um, Mike's is I think Mike's was an interesting choice because um, you know he's he's kind of an enigma, and his screen test is really different than you know anyone else, um, mm-hmm. and it does give a lot of personality you know, a lot of his personality, it gives, it brings a lot to the show, um, that otherwise you don't get from, you know, what's left of the script. Um, you know, kind of, I kind of reviewed the other screen tests to get a, to try to imagine, you know, choosing some of Mickey's or Peter's. And I feel like Mike's and Davies really spark, sparkle the most. And so, um, you know, that's why I think they chose them. Jamie? Davy, like Megan said, adorable little British, you know, we're riding the crest of the British invasion. He's a shoe in um, and plus super, super charming. Um, and Mike's compared, honestly, compared to Peter's and Mickey's, Mike's and Davies are more viable. Um, uh-huh. Mickey was just seemed to be more focused on, you know, he's a wild and crazy guy, he wore mismatched shoes even. So I, I don't know what was going on there. Um, and, Peter, Peter's big thing was about the long hair more than anything, and that he played for scale. Um, Mike's there was there seemed to be more interaction. He's a little enigma as he is. Um, he was a little a little more intriguing. I don't know. There's just mm-hmm. they like Megan said they sparked more. There was more personality, I guess that that really shone through for both of those guys. Yeah, uh, and maybe that's why, and maybe that's why also they eventually kind of put Mike in the leader slash father figure type role too. Yeah, he was actually already in that role because the character who, incidentally, in the pilot was called Wool Hat. The only time he was addressed by name in the pilot, Rudy refers to him as Wool Hat. He was already sort of in the leadership role because he was the one who was supposed to take the guys down to the country club, and when mm-hmm. Davy gets all sad it's mike who goes to talk to him i think that perhaps they use those two because those were the two characters who were so prominently featured in the pilot mickey and peter were barely in the pilot they really had very little yeah. to do that's true um in fact yeah. one of my favorite little trivia things is is uh to ask you know and i think you guys have heard me ask this before you know how many monkeys are referred to by name in the pilot the answer is, is three, if you count Wool Hat as being a name. <laughs> Peter's name is mentioned once in passing. You know, sure, you'd like to help her. I'd like to help Peter, too, but I can't. He's a bird brain. Mickey's name is never mentioned. Yep. In the entire pilot, he's never addressed by name once. His name is never spoken. The, as far as the audience is concerned, his name is Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> and he's a blackguard. <laughs> <laughs> When they put Davy's interview and they put my screen test on it, that changed, and they put it right at the very first, and said, "And those are meet the monkeys, and you'll never know where they show up next." And now, then, it became Madcap 
and kind of easygoing. And so when we were uh, making fun of something or uh, poking fun at it, 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 was, uh, it was gentle and it was not uh, angry. It was, uh, it was just uh, kids fooling around and having fun. Watching the, the screen test interviews, I noticed that Mickey's was a group. He was in a, in a room with a couple of other guys. And that yeah. made it, might have made it impossible to use his screen test. I will point at this, that those screen tests were edited. Mm-hmm. All four of them were edited. We have no idea how much material they had to start with. I'd just like to say that the most genius moment mm-hmm. in, in Mike's uh, screen test is right at the beginning when he walks in, puts the guitar down, and checks his reflection in the, in the portrait. <laughs> that was so perfect. <laughs> Let's quick fast forward then. Can we all agree that the pilot's title, uh, Here Come the Monkeys, is just the worst possible title they could come up with? Terrible. <laughs> Awful. Anybody have any suggestions? Monkey magic. Oh, hey. <laughs> but then I'd have to call my book something else. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about Here They Come? Oh. Uh, fits in well. I toyed around with a barrel full of history. <laughs> it seems to be all about Ooh. Vanessa. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm going to go a little bit uh, more traditional because we have so many uh, episode titles that start with the word monkeys, and I'm going to go with monkeys in a country club, which may sound a little <laughs> dull until you think about the context of people not knowing who the monkeys are and maybe not knowing how it's spelled. In 1966, we have television undergoing some massive changes. It's the year of living color. It's the year of Star Trek and Batman. We've got magic. We've got city people living in the country. We've got country people living in the city. It's not Father Knows Best anymore. So is this a... uh, a high-concept, game-changing kind of show to introduce in 1966? Megan? I think a case can be made for that. I think that the monkeys took a premise, a kind of what-if premise. What if a band was struggling to get work and these guys live together all the time? What would that be like? And it, it takes that premise, it explores it, and it's kind of paves the way for shows in the future to move away from the idea of having a nuclear family at its base and um, to focus more on independent um, young adults, which is sort of new. So you go from like the Patty Duke show and you go into the monkeys and then you can start exploring things like Gidget and the Flying Nun, you know, people who are on Mm -hmm. their own um, in the world. Megan, you just hit me with such a bizarre idea. This is a workplace comedy Yes. So a family comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is people who they're co-workers and they live together. Right. Right. Wow. I think Megan's spot on about where media was in its kind of transformation in the at the the, kind of the midpoint of the 60s. And I think you can see that tension now that I think of it in the pilot script, because there are almost two different sitcoms kind of battling it out over 
which one's going to be Vaughn. There's one that could almost be called, you know, Vanessa and her father, where, you know, the monkeys, you know, say if this show had come out a couple of years before, it might have been, you know, one-off foils to the, you know, the dad and his plucky daughter before, you know, everything ended happily and, and they learned how to, you know, get along in the country club. But now you're at a point in the culture where the power is shifting from Vanessa and her dad to the monkeys. And I don't think, I think they were struggling with figuring out how to write that dynamic and how to do it in a way that made sense culturally, but would also work as a television narrative in a sitcom form. Jamie? Well, we're also, we're also looking at a time when it's changing. It's changing everything. People are used to perfect sets, little families, um, nuclear families. They, uh, things are a certain way. Dad runs the house. Mom's in the kitchen and we have, you know, Bobby and Susie or whoever, the happy little kids and their biggest drama is kind of like Vanessa. Oh, I flunked a test. Um, long hair and musicians, I think, were kind of a threat. Parents did not like the Beatles. Parents didn't like Elvis, for crying out loud. Um, so this this was a big deal to have these guys show up and not be perceived as a threat by parents for them to say oh well they're not so bad let us embrace them as you know as just friends normal people whatever they're you have (laughs) on tv at the time you have a show about families made up of monsters but they were still built on the same normal points of nuclear family that same recipe and then we have then we have these four I don't know, maybe they're college-age kids at this point? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Living together, trying to support themselves, and there's there's no dad, there's no mom. Um, if something goes wrong, they don't have a poignant moment with Pops over in the corner. Hey, Dad, how do I solve my problem? They have to figure it out themselves. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, they're very independent. It's It's very interesting compared to everything else that is on TV at that time. Right. Mm-hmm. Jamie, building on what you just said, um, you referred to them as, as college-age uh, young men. And I would say that they do appear to all be at least 18. Of course, the actors are older than that. But let's just say they're all 18. Maybe one of them is 17 years old. Let's keep in mind that Vanessa was 15 at the oh. beginning of this episode. Such a baby. And, and I, I do want to know why her prim and proper perfect parents allowed her a 1 a.m. curfew somebody <laughs> in the 60s that that has to be a no-no I was out after 11 o'clock in the 90s and got yelled at so Vanessa <laughs> shame on you parents shame on you next week yeah. on the Russells we <laughs> I'd like to thank all three of you for joining me tonight this was so much fun and I hope that we get a chance to get together and shoot the breeze again soon and on this note, I have to jump in. I, I, I have received a, a, a message on my Zilch host transcoder. Ken is signaling us. He is activating the lights in our black box control room, signaling us to join he, Jeff, and Craig in the Monkeys Commentary Theater. So I think that's our cue to wind it down. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. It's time. I got the popcorn. <laughs> Who's got the soda? I got, I got it. <laughs> I've got the industrial strength bag of pretzels.
I've got the hatchet for Mike. Yay! <laughs> okay, somebody hit the button. We've got movie signs. Woohoo! Oh, oh, can I hit the button? Yes! All right, big shiny button. Let me press it. Woohoo! <laughs> hey, wait a minute, guys. You know what? It's 7.36.30 Central Time. It's time for the monkeys. I wonder if anybody around here has got a television set. Hi, friends. Ralph Williams, one of the world's largest... What we wanted to play was on the Creebitch. Creebitch. How do you. The Monkeys. Brought to you by Kellogg. K E double L. O double good. Kellogg's you. Tonight's Monkeys Color Cast commentary is brought to you by April's Laundromat. Now open seven days a week. See April to get your suds half off. Open seven days a week, convenient to the beach in Malibu. Hello and welcome to the Monkey's Color Cast Commentary. And this week we are going to be talking about the pilot episode, Here Come the Monkeys. I'm Craig Cohen, and as always I have with me Jeff Hewlett. Hello. And we are waiting for Melanie Mitchell, who is um, finishing up a roundtable discussion about this very episode. So, Jeff, we're going to get started going uh-huh. through some of the names and faces we're going to see in this episode. And then hopefully Melanie um, breaks away and is able to join us. Sure. All right. So we're going to look at uh, some people behind the scenes first. Director Mike Elliott, who was mainly a commercial director. And this is only his real... Um, credited gig for for TV, um, episodic TV, and no uh, movie work. Um, We also have um, our writers on this episode are Paul Mazursky and Larry Tucker, who often worked together. Uh, Paul Mazursky did a lot of directing, and you probably know him from Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, the movie and the TV show, Moscow on the Hudson, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, um, Scenes from a Mall, and Larry Tucker also worked on Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, the movie and the TV show. Um, Jeff, do you want to talk about some of the people um, that we see in front of the camera? Oh, sure. Yeah, there's a combined. There's a, a lot and a lot of acting credits that, that are going on in this, this show with some of these people. So uh, Richard St. John, who played uh, Mr. Russell, that's Vanessa's father, was in a lot of... Uh, notable series uh, back then so mr ed beverly hillbillies mikhail's navy perry mason petticoat junction and uh, and dick tracy among among many many others um unfortunately uh, he left us in in 1977 so at, at the young age of 59 so unfortunately he wasn't able to continue further but robin uh milan who plays vanessa russell uh, was also in the Patty Duke show, Missing Impossible, Hawaii Five O, Love American Style, Mannix, uh, Ryan's Hope, and others. Uh, one of the one of the almost unsung guys, Joe Higgins, who plays the security guard at the country club, uh, who tells Mr. Russell he sold out or sold his country club out, actually has a lot of acting credits. He was in tons and tons of stuff, including uh, My Three Sons, Have Guns Will Travel, Bonanza, The Rifleman, Flipper, I Dream of Genie, My Favorite Martian, Three Monkeys episodes. The Mod Squad, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, June uh, Whitley-Taylor, who played Mrs. Russell, Vanessa's mother, was also in quite a few shows herself, including I Love Lucy, The Lone Ranger, uh, Dragnet, Mr. Ed, Donna Reed, Love American Style, Mannix, and uh, some, some, some shows that we used to love to watch when we were kids, superhero shows like Wonder Woman and The Incredible Hulk. 
And uh, Jill Van Ness, which is interesting because uh, Jill, the character, is not identified as Jill in the show. This is actually her sole acting credit. It's the only thing that she's credited with that I could find uh, was this one uh, monkey's episode. And I think, who do we have left? Oh, uh, uh, Bing Russell, right, who played Rudy, the, the manager? Yes. So, uh, yeah, he was also on quite a number of shows, some of the same ones as some of the other uh, actors and actresses on this show, like uh, Bonanza and Mannix, uh, The Rockford Files, Gunsmoke, uh, Mod Squad, uh, lots and lots of shows like that. So um, lots and lots of veteran actors and actresses in this pilot episode. Excellent, excellent. So uh, as we're wrapping this up, I see Melanie and some friends um, jogging down the hall here. So uh, let's let Melanie catch her breath, and we will welcome to the show Monkey Magic author Melanie Mitchell. Okay, hi guys. Thanks for waiting for me. I appreciate you doing the uh, acting and writing credits while I was coming down the hallway. Oh, no problem, Melanie. So uh, take a minute to catch your breath here. Um, <laughs> you. I know uh, Ken is going to appreciate the double duty that you uh, you did this episode. Oh, well, I'm just so thrilled to be able to do a panel discussion about the pilot as a pilot and then come in and do the commentary about the pilot as a regular episode. Yeah, very cool. So before we get to that, I know we sort of have a tendency now to, to put some uh, past episodes to bed. Do you have any information from the last commentary that you want to uh, update us on? I have a whole bunch of little things. All right, excellent. Um, th this is a uh, catch-up from the episode The Chaperone. Um, the first thing is that the word Devoon has actually been around since the 1950s. It was popularized by the voluptuous actress Jane Mansfield. Hmm. So it was not something that was made up on the Monkees TV show. It had been around. Um, member of our Facebook group, Randall Bowie, pointed out that the um, Tarzan uh, logo that we saw during the dance sequence um, was actually the... Uh, logo from the Tarzan TV series, which also premiered on NBC in 1966. So it was brand new at the time that it was seen on the monkeys. Right. Um, Nikki Locke on the Facebook group suggested that Mrs. Arcadian's wig might have seemed oversized because Mickey was wearing it backwards. <laughs> and I have to say that thought never, ever occurred to me. But now that she pointed it out, I can totally see how that could be the case. Um, Karen Welsh on the Facebook group suggested that Peter's over-enthusiastic bass playing might have actually been an aspect of his fictional character, but a deliberate choice made by Peter the actor. Hmm. So that's an excellent thought. It never occurred to me. And finally, I do want to report back that the most valuable monkey voting, which was across the board for Mickey amongst the three of us, stayed that way. Um, every single person who cast a vote for Most Valuable Monkey for the Chaperone on the Facebook group also voted for Mickey. Oh, okay. Wow. So uh, uh, I'm sure Mickey's um, really, really uh, basking in the glory of, of that vote. <laughs> I'm sure he feels it all the way from California. <laughs> all right, Melanie, uh, you know how much we enjoy those updates. And once again, um, the group comes through with some uh, some information that we either overlooked or needed to research. So, uh, so uh, great work, group, and that's what makes the Zilch Group one of my favorite to check out whenever I'm on Facebook. All right, so Jeff, Melanie, anything else before we get started? Ready to go. All right, and we will start our scene-specific commentary for the Monkees 
Here come the monkeys pilot episode in three, two, one. You know, I actually really enjoy this opening sequence, especially uh, this this Dr. Turner, because this this is a little bit of social commentary kind of stuck in the beginning. You're talking you're seeing all of these, uh, you know, 40 or 50 something uh, white guys in trench coats uh, when an interviewer on the street asking about uh, violence and the rise of violence. And what would what would they do if faced with a violent situation? And, uh, you know, he's blustering and, and about what he would do and he would get in their feet and fists flying. And, and here come the monkeys simulating a, a mugging or a robbery here. And they and Davey points to him and, and asks for his help. And he runs away like a coward. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you wonder uh, you always wonder what would happen if you were in, the, in a situation like that, if anyone would help you. And uh, I, I love this little bit of social commentary about that. And. One other question to any of our more young viewers here, especially with this old lady crossing the street now. Once she opens up her coat, she's going to reveal an apparatus that I don't know if any if everybody has seen these before. I remember seeing those little change belts. Yeah. Uh, the ice cream man used to have one. But I was wondering to myself when I watched that if younger people would be able to identify that apparatus. Jeff, I'm going to say two things. One is that you appreciated um, Dr. Lionel Turner. I'll point out that the actor playing Dr. Lionel Turner is the writer Larry Tucker. Hmm. And the fellow with the microphone asking the questions was the writer Paul Mazursky. Yeah. So and, they, mm-hmm. they appeared in that scene that they wrote themselves. Also, that the, um, the bit with the woman charging 15 cents for crossing the street – in the original script, they, that was the third time she'd been across that street uh, <laughs> against her will. So she started charging money for it the third time. Uh, that, that almost sells the joke better. And, and um, uh, Dr. Turner, the acting performance there, is one of my favorite in this episode. But Jeff, do you think that opening sequence, was that set up? I mean, w- were the monkeys standing by? What like How do you think that played out? I don't know. I don't think it was really... Uh thought about too much i think it was more of a of a funny thought for an intro yeah and a way to introduce the wackiness of the guys and try to sell what they were oh by the way just to point this out now we're seeing this record store scene and you notice that uh rudy the manager called mike wool hat yes i like that that joke was reused uh in in the actual with the first broadcast episode right uh melanie the uh, royal flush Mm-hmm. Yeah, W.H. Woolhat. W.H. Woolhat. So it was reused. It was actually used on the pilot here, but actually uh, used prior to the pilot's broadcast. So it might seem yeah. like a reused gag the other way around. Oh, yeah. And this oh, is by the, the, way, the original Monkey Mobile, I guess? Yeah, and this yeah. is actually very similar to it's – a, it's a Woody. It's very similar to a 1937 Ford Deluxe station wagon, hmm. by the way. I'm not sure if it is that, but it looks very similar to it. <laughs> Now, one thing about this episode is there's a lot of things that we'll see uh, in the previous from the previous episodes, like Davy and with stars in his eyes. But overall, this had to be a weird episode for people. This is the tenth episode that was aired, and there's definitely a different feel to it. Really, you think it's that different? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I think. For one thing, it's a very domestic sort of father-knows-best kind of story. I mean, the danger is that, oh, my God, Vanessa might flunk her history test. Sure. You know, this is very different from the usual gangsters and, and ghosts and, and you know weird things happening. 
Sure, but you got you got them being chased around by the cops or the by the security guard and Mr. Russell later. So you got the kind of funny montage. The guys are pretty much the same for the most part. Mm-hmm. He's got you know Davy is the love interest, and you know Mike has some fatherly moments later. Mickey does his wacky impressions, and, and Peter is of course the dummy. Yeah, but so. you watch this and you and you almost understand why it wasn't the first episode that aired because it's it's nowhere near as strong as some of the material we've seen already. No. Not at all. But oh, and speaking of, of material that's not strong, I I was very uh, saddened to to know during some research that um, Sven Hellstrom and the Swedish Rhythm Kings are actually a fake band. <laughs> They're not real. I confirmed on fakebands.com. Yes, there is such a website that they were manufactured for this show. So uh, sadly, we can't go out and download any uh, any uh, rhythm Swedish Rhythm Kings albums. But and why is Davey playing a guitar? The Sven Hellstrom's music appears in another Monkeys episode. Ooh. Even faker. (laughs) (laughs) These sequences where the Monkeys are performing are actually uh, spliced together, two different um, bits of filming, some of it done in 1965 and some of it done in 1966. Um, You've watched for the different background colors and the balloons later on will appear and disappear. The reason is that the original pilot, they used um, the vocals of Boyce and Hart, and they had to re-record the songs for broadcast, and when they did, the tempos changed. Oh, okay. And this is the uh, the rock or the Bob Dylan version of I Want to Be Free, as I like to call it. And uh, I know we've talked about this when we talked about the first album, that I think this is the version that me and Jeff prefer. How about you, Melanie? Um, I actually like this the ballad version better. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I wonder who's playing organ in this in this supposed live performance at the audition here. The swing set. Yes. It could have been Peter because um Davey was holding a guitar. Now look at they her. They had Davey playing the bass and Peter on on keyboards, but they didn't think anyone would pay any attention. Did you notice that her pants got undirty? She had a stain, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah she had fallen. a big dirty part. There and then now it's now she's clean. I love how there's some stuff that's used in the intro here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see Mike on little rocket powered skateboard thing and uh-huh. uh and the the there it is. The motorized skateboard thing. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, I was this, where that stuff came from. Yeah, this is the first romp. The first romp they ever made. And uh it's a it's a good one. There's a lot of visual interest, a lot of colors, a lot of humor. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's really interesting that they never um, – that this is the first time we're seeing Davey with a guitar. I'm surprised it's not something they stuck with after the pilot. No. Maybe they thought that he would learn to play the guitar during the hiatus before filming and, and instead he had other things to do. And <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Now, Melanie, is this an actual closed amusement park where they, they have – did they rent Kitty Land out for the shoot? I imagine so. I I don't know, but now I have something to research for next time. (laughs) There you go. There you go. It was an overcast day, apparently. and I didn't see any other people lurking around. Well, they were filming in November. Mm, Oh, maybe it was closed for the season. Oh, very good. Very good. Now, I love this uh, this gag where they're they're mock married and Davey comes back and I never want to see you again. I love that. Yeah. Classic. It's strange. I love the the real wedding getup, but I... I don't get the joke. I never want to see you again. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. But I love this sequence. Well, it's, it's fear of commitment, of course, right? It's <laughs> Davey wanting to sow his wild oats and, and uh, not get tied down. He wants to well, be free, as he just got done singing about. 
But he says, I never want to see you again. And in the very next breath, he's kissing her goodnight. Well, he's a young man. He's, he's fickle. <laughs> Apparently, he does want to see her again. <laughs> he's very fickle. <laughs> and we also, during the sequence, we had Mike throwing darts at the Beatles. Right. Yes. The script actually specified that the dart should hit Paul McCartney. But really? it, actually hit, it actually hit Ringo Starr. Wow. That's a... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Yeah, please. <laughs> I wouldn't want to derail and get into a Beatles discussion. But. That's actually also a scene that would probably be impossible to shoot today. I have to say, doesn't it seem that 1 a.m. is an awful late time for a 15-year-old girl to be getting home on a weeknight? Oh, my God. Yeah, I know, I know my mom was uh, in high school in the 60s, and if she came home... At even 11 o'clock, my grandfather would have probably killed her. <laughs> and how old are the monkeys supposed to be? Yeah, that's a good question. Because there's this four is of them Jill. living in a house, right? Yeah, it's Jill. Yeah. There's four of them living in a house together with no apparent yeah. uh, adults in sight. So how right. old are they supposed to be? Apparently adults. <laughs> but I wanted to point out that Jill is never identified. Um, no. Nobody ever explains who she is. Of course, that's because the pilot had to be recut. And we talked about that during the panel, but um, she is the manager's daughter. And if the and manager had not again. been cut out of the series, she probably would have been a regular member of the cast. Huh. Interesting. So now we have the um, the album version of I Want to Be Free. So um, mm-hmm. I'm sure Melanie's happy to hear this. <laughs> um, and Jeff, it's really funny. You talked about how one of the frustrating things with this theory, with the series um when you were younger was you'd have these versions of the songs that you didn't that didn't turn up anywhere until missing links came out exactly and this was one of the episodes that really really confused me um i think th- this song was one that i had looked for i mean that the the rockier version of this i had looked for and i think uh, if i remember uh, midnight train was another one and steam engine and all the king's horses Back then, I re- I hold a, a tape recorder up to the TV speaker and record them so that I could have them. Yeah. Now, talk about being confused. This doesn't look anything like the monkey's pad. <laughs> it's actually a lovely little beach house. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to spend a vacation there. And there's the Beatles again on the wall. Yeah. And the furniture's covered. So was this a, like an, an off-season you know, rental they just happened to, to use for the shoot? <laughs> that it was closed yeah. up for the season and they just kind of cracked it open? That might have just been a slip cover to keep sand out of the cushions. Ah, uh, possibly. Yeah. They kind of littered some um, some props around, like the uh, the monkey in the background and the gavel. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a boardroom. And where do you know any idea where this boardroom was? Was this in the studio? Maybe not a clue. Yeah, that not looks, a clue. That looks like it could be a set. But this is the first shared imagination sequence. The yeah. first time that all four of them were suddenly plunged into an imaginary setting together. They'll do it again a little bit later um, when they're playing poker together in a Wild West setting. Yes. I think that's really the, the, the most important takeaway from this episode is the establishing um, the shared imagination um, that we would see continue on. At least for me. Yeah. Now, I don't know if I've hit you guys with this trivia question, but do you know how many of the monkeys are identified by name in the pilot? Um, I'm going to say two. I'm going to say one. <laughs> well, it's either two or three, depending on how you count it. Um, depends on whether you count Woolhat as being the correct name for Mike. But Peter is identified oh, that's once. that's true, right? Peter, you're right. 
and Davy is constantly being name-checked throughout the show. And now we're back at the record store with this Jill mysterious works there? girl. Well, her father owns it. Ah. Yeah. I do like this device of how they're teaching her about history. <laughs> you know, I wonder when these these songs about history will, will actually be released. I guess maybe <laughs> if we ever get the incidental music for the show released in some form, we'll get these as well. Jeff, more importantly, how long did it take to dig the holes for them to go in? <laughs> they're probably laying down in them, so maybe not too, too long. Now, this is an interesting bit here. When they shoot the guns... Watch what happens. Well, it's going to happen in a minute. And uh, the breaks a coffee cup. So it means that that was a real gun with a real bullet. <laughs> Good observation. I love how her father just comes out of the tree line, like he was running through the woods looking for her. Oh, man. Good stuff. Uh, the guys are in the same park in different costumes. Mm-hmm. And this is our history teacher. I, I don't think we, um, I don't think we identified her prior no, to the commentary. She wasn't credited, um, oh. so I have no idea who she was. But she appears again later at the end of the episode, right, to kind of clear the monkey's name. Yeah, and it's coming kinda, momentarily. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah. there's our Swedish rhythm kings again. <laughs> and the song, the song they're playing right now is, is, I think it's right now, is "Pennies from Heaven," and that song, that actual recording, which of course they're probably just miming to, is on the monkey's jukebox in the episode "Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers." Ah, cool. Very when cool. they're trying to chase all of the partiers out of the house, mm-hmm. they stop playing the monkey song and and play "Pennies from Heaven" instead. It's that same recording of that Sven Hellstrom is playing right now. <laughs> what kind of lame birthday party is this where they invite all these old people? There's no young people there at all. Yeah, well, you know, you hold it at the country club and you have Sven Hellstrom playing. I, I can't blame her for crying. I cannot blame Vanessa for being upset. That yeah. seems like a very lame birthday party to me. The script said that there were dozens, or I can't remember the exact number, but it was a large number of young people just standing in a row on the side of the room, just looking bored. Uh, that doesn't really come through on the screen. You know, something else that, that happens in the pilot here that we passed over earlier, we were talking about something else that does kind of carry through into some of the other later episodes, is that establishing Mike as that kind of father figure. Mm-hmm. You know, as he's giving Davy advice or, or trying to figure out how to help, how to help Davy uh, get over his troubles. In the living room, they're talking together. So yeah. I, I kind of like that character moment and that uh, the warmth there and establishing the the bond between the guys. Yeah, Woolhat was the only other character to really get much attention. Um, Peter and Mickey were mostly there just to deliver a couple of funny lines. Yeah, and here's here's our second montage. I love this shh moment there. Yeah, <laughs> where he quiets him down, and then you pan over and see the guys in the corner in their uh, in their western garb. Yeah. This, this is, is a wonderful bit. Yeah, they this all is, do. All of them do so well with it. Yeah, this is probably my favorite gag in the episode. And uh, Craig and I play a lot of poker, by the way. And I've actually said uh, I've had a chandelier before. <laughs> <laughs> you lose, but. <laughs> and Mike's got the chandelier, and, yeah. and you know, I, one thing I really love about this is when. Mike's got a fake mustache, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I love how he sh- how the plaster comes down on the table, and they just keep playing like nothing happened. Unlike the teacup in the previous scene, that yes. bullet was fake. And they Mike shushes him, and the guy's faces. happy about it. Ha ha ha! Great poker faces. 
Now, this is a romp in a way, but it's not a romp set to a monkey song. Yeah. You just have dinky, 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 rinky, dink piano music going on. I wonder where this was shot, because that really does look like a country club of some sort. It's actually, I think, the uh, hotel, the Del Ah, Mar in uh, Coronado Island. That's a really nice bar. Yeah. Beautiful mahogany wood there. This is, I guess, this is, it must have been a game room in the same hotel. I think so. I think most of these sequences were filmed there. There's the old uh, ping pong ball in the mouth gag. Yeah, see, that's the kind of stuff in this episode that really sort of it doesn't hit for me. Yeah, me neither. That's a kind of a classic bit. Yeah, and actually, this sequence went on and on and on. There were scenes with the drunk man. There were scenes with the fat man and the little old lady, who, by the way, were getting married that day. Oh. At the country club. Where a little bit later, she, she says, to think we met crossing the street. That's, they're referring to the fact that they had just gotten married. And the monkeys actually burst in on their wedding. So there's a lot of stuff that got cut out. But they had to recut the the uh, pilot to make room for the screen tests. Huh. Now, they're, and Davey hamming it up here. Yeah, <laughs> this is lovely. And, and they you, cut they cut a really clunker of a line. The uh, Mr. Russell was supposed to say um, and that Davy was a sloppy kisser. <laughs> I'm glad they cut that line. This this joke that Mike lays out is a very adult joke. I, I'm not sure this was aimed at children. Talking about uh, that Norway declaring war on Sweden and all Swedish nationals have to report to the embassy. Yeah, and how they immediately yeah. line up. I mean, would kids have gotten <laughs> that joke? I mean. It's kind of funny. I, I like it, but it works well, yeah. Oh, and I, I love the the word bubbles that pop up of t- talking about this dancing girl mm-hmm. coming up here in a bit. How she's so related to the. There's Paul Mazursky back with his uh, microphone. And all of a sudden, we have younger people at the party. Yeah, they were there all along. They just weren't they were dancing good. while Sven was playing. And and of course they're all dancing to Let's Dance On. I'm in great pain, but I like it. That's a wonderful line. It's like the redemption of that whole character arc, you know that that uh, he he um, he gave in and betrayed his country club, but he likes it. (laughs) Do you notice Vanessa's getting down with another guy on the dance floor? Oh, (laughs) so Davy's already lost. Well, it sort of inoculates him from the. Falling in love with somebody else a few seconds later. Yeah, not to fret, of course. Yes, he will have another love interest, establishing uh, another ongoing Davy mm-hmm. trait. And there's uh, our friend Doctor Turner. Yeah, and, and, and the his old lady. Bride. Yeah, see, this is more stuff that just doesn't sit for me because, like, why are they there? For fun. <laughs> for fun. <laughs> and Again, there we the, go. the the joke was lost partially because they had cut so much. Oh, okay. So. There's your resolution to the story. Gosh, Davy, you did it again. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Melanie well, did it for the first time this time. Yeah. So Melanie, this episode was cut intentionally short, is what you're saying? Yeah. The first time the pilot was screened for a test audience, it failed miserably. They hated it. Hmm. Um, the network gave uh, Rafelson and Schneider a second chance, so they took the pilot back. Um, cut it to shreds, rearranged the pieces, made enough room for these two screen tests. But a lot of stuff got left on the cutting room floor in the process, including that, well, this didn't get cut out, but it got moved. That scene at the beginning of the episode, the man on the street interview, originally was in the middle of the episode. Hmm, interesting. 
And what you didn't notice, and I encourage you to go back and watch now that we've gotten to near the end, let's go back and look at that scene again. Look at the right-hand side of the screen. You'll see Mr. Russell and Rudy, the manager, in that scene. Right. They were there. And Mr. Russell had just told Rudy, keep those boys away from my daughter. Mm-hmm. Ah. And then they witnessed that scene. Well, that makes a lot more sense. It does. <laughs> Context is everything. Yes. But what do you think of the screen tests? I love the screen tests. This is The screen tests are really – the uh, the main reason that I would ever select this episode when uh, going to watch the monkeys on DVD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Davy comes off as quite charming. Well, in the he certainly test. does. I actually I think Mike wins the day with his entrance when he he stops in front of the portrait to yes. check his reflection. It's it's such a brilliant bit of comedy that it's so subtle, but it's yeah. brilliant. Well, and according to to Mike, he was extremely nervous, and that was more just, uh, what, a moment to sort of stall a little bit. Yeah, but to to do it in that way is is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But Davey's screen test, it's not very confrontational. Um, I think he had the part anyway. Yeah. He's quite confident, but they do tease him about his height and uh, his dancing, which is kind of fun. By the way, some people think that Davey says a bad word when he's talking about his hair right now. Um, he says that they made him wear it like this way and all this shtick. Sh- ah. He does say shtick, but sometimes it doesn't sound like shtick when he mm-hmm. says that. <laughs> Interesting. I also like when he's asked what his bag is. Yeah. <laughs> Make a terrible sound. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> but this really just shows what an uh, an entertainer Davy was too, and where he was coming from in terms of his approach to things. Absolutely. So here's, here's your moment, Melanie, coming right yeah, up. Love it. I mean, to notice that there's a portrait there and to to use it that way. God, it's just genius. Absolute mm-hmm. genius. And here the the interview is confrontational. It is. And he con- he confronts right back. You know he he gives as good as he gets. You know he says let's not talk about that or that's a dumb thing. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. He's trying to take control of the interview, and yeah. uh, I think Rafelson admired that. Mm-hmm. Do you think Mike had any kind of influence from Bob Dylan and the way he dealt with the press? I have no idea. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe that I get from it, and 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 um, I think it's awesome. Uh-huh. It could hmm. be. Now, I want to know what the Colonel Mallard story is. <laughs> and I also want to know how in the world he managed to tump over an airplane. I actually have seen a, a, a internet meme of an airplane that has been flipped over on a tarmac somewhere, and the caption says, looks like Mike Nesmith was here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some of this comes off as a little awkward to me, though. I, I know where you're going and taking control of the, the interview, and there are some great bits in here, but it, some of the stuff they're talking about his name felt a little bit awkward, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, later later on, and uh, when he when he uh, he pulls the, the china out of the, the cabinet, there's a little bit awkward for me, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if that's, that's the kind of character they were looking for for Mike, though, so I think yeah. he fit what they really wanted. Yeah. They were looking for spontaneity, and they were looking mm-hmm. for a certain brashness. Yep. Now, I think it's yep. interesting that they chose these two interviews and not the others. Um, one reason I suspect they might have used Mike's, besides the fact that it's just so wonderful, is the fact that he mentioned that he had served in the Air Force. Ah. Which yeah, could appeal to a certain segment of the population. 
yes. sure. Yeah, and make it more acceptable point. to parents. Yeah. yeah. So there, here's your uh, here's your your China serving it, dish in a in a plate. And it's also interesting that they cut it where they did because clearly they cut it right in the middle of a sentence, but they stopped there. God only knows what came after that. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, "Don't you ever?" And then they cut it. Uh, one wonders what the rest of that sentence was. Yeah, yeah and, something about the strong woman, right? Yeah. Well, look. <laughs> Have you ever been a strong, silent woman before? Mm-hmm. Well, he's smiling when they cut, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> All right, so I guess now that we're we're in the uh, the end credits here, I guess we have to pick a uh, MVM, a most valuable monkey, and I will go first this time. I'm not sure uh, when the last time I went first is, but I think for this episode, um, I think I'm just gonna go Davy here, just because Davy's so much a focus of the episode. Um, and you also have a screen test, and I and I think you can make arguments using those screen tests for other monkeys. But um, I'm I'm gonna throw my my hat in the ring for Davy, um, Melanie. It's Davy all the way. This pilot, this this episode was Davy Jones and his three anonymous friends. <laughs> and Jeff. Well, I guess we've got a an, a unanimous decision, so I'm I'm also gonna go with Davy, but I'm gonna go for. For Davy, for a, a slightly different reason, I, I'm going for Davy because I like the fact that you know, if you watch the entire run of the show, you always get the impression that Davy is a, you know, uh, he's he's just getting all the girls. He's going from girl to girl, relationship to relationship. But I think the the fact that he wants to help Vanessa to pass her history final shows that he actually does care. And I like the fact that there's a character moment for him where he's he he feels deeply enough about you know her failing her history test and it being kind of his fault. Uh, and he has to go through a little brooding there. So I think it, it, it adds a little depth to the, the, the girl crazy Davy character. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. So those are our votes for most valuable monkey. Make sure you go over to the Facebook group and cast your vote for this episode's most valuable monkey and all the previous episodes. Melanie, you're still tallying all those, right? Oh, it is so much fun. Yes, please. Everybody come vote, come vote. All right, excellent. And we will see you next time when we're going to be talking about monkeys a la carte. So, Melanie, I will talk to you next time. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, as always, it's been a pleasure. And, Jeff, um, have a good one. All right, Craig and, and Melanie, it was wonderful talking to you guys again. It was. Thank you for tuning in to tonight's Monkeys Color Cast. I'm your announcer, Ghosty Timmers. Now, back to the show. (laughs) all right time to wrap it up thank you everyone for being part of this you ready melanie we are out yay Yay! (laughs) it's another show for the records and thank you craig Cohn, for being part of this pilot discussion very welcome and jeff hewlett thank you as well oh my pleasure well we'll see you guys yeah you know you know where to find me ken Always monkeying around. Yep. (laughs) All right, we'll see you, Jeff. All right, take it easy, everybody. Okay. Thank you for listening to Zilch. (laughs) Keep monkeying around. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. 
If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that true. So, hey, hey, we're the murkies. So. Boy, that was awkward. <laughs> All right, you guys ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And with um, that... Hannah, I didn't say I was ready. Oh, I'm sorry. Craig, tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Before I jump, are you ready, Jeff? No, now I'm not ready. <laughs> Craig threw me off. I was ready to start, and now... I'm tired Craig of Jeff always getting to be the villain. <laughs> Craig, you've been the villain many times, but... Uh, you right. guys are crazy. Yes, now I'm ready. Now make sure Craig is ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm not ready. <laughs> oh, you're on mute. Get back on mute. Damn it. This is like, this is like podcast whack-a-mole. It is. All right. Well, while you guys go scramble off to set up the... While Color you guys, cast commentary theater. There, why don't... Okay. Okay, guys. You had a tremendous pause there. It was Shatner-esque, Ken. Thank you. I was going for that. I really do channel the Shatner because I can just pinch out the silences and it sounds exactly. like I'm right on yeah. key. Boom. Just like that. Yeah. I see Ken like running around his room saying, it's fine. Everything's fine. Oh, my God. Tom McCann. <laughs> all right, guys. All right. All Can right. I officially disown this entire conversation? <laughs> oh my god, Ken, that uh, Daffy Duck version of Beth killed me. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. it. That's Ghosty Timmers, actually. When he goes to do the drum solo, I... Lost I it. Couldn't. I, I just couldn't. <laughs> it was amazing. Me, you ready, Daffy? Ready when you are, Mr. Ezrin. Me, this time... Try to put some emotion into it. Oh, so it's the motion you want, eh? Well, brother, it's the motion you're gonna get. Roll the tape! This'll be a brilliant addition to the Duck Destroyer album. Beth, I hear you calling. But I can't come home right now Me and the boys are playing And we just can't find the sound Just a few more hours And I'll be right home to you I think I hear them calling Oh, Beth, what can I do? Beth, what can I do? You say you feel so empty That our house just ain't a home And I'm always somewhere else And you're always there alone Just a few more hours And I'll be right home to you I think I hear them calling. Oh, Beth, what can I do? Oh, Beth, what can I do?
do you think you're doing? It's time for my drum solo. Uh -uh. No drum solo. No drum solo? But I'm the cat duck! The fans expect the drum solo! You can be replaced, Daffy. Oh, don't bother. I'm gonna quit right after the Shandy video anyway. Can we get back to the song, please? Spoil sport. <laughs> Yes, I know you're lonely, and I hope you'll be alright. Cause me and the boys will be playing all Well, how was that? Me, you, sir, are a powerful and attractive duck. And you're despicable. You know, the word oldies isn't a dirty word. Not in my book, anyway. Hey, this is Ghosty. How would you like to listen to a radio show that spins top hits, lost gems, and then some from the glorious years between 1955 and 1972? One that features interviews with the likes of Julie Newmar, John Sebastian, Al Jardine, Mickey Dolenz, Don Wells, David Cassidy, Angela Cartwright, Bill Medley, Ronnie Spector, Connie Stevens, and many more. Well, the Vintage Rockin' Pop Shop is on the air every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 89.1 WFDU-FM. That's in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. You can also listen to it live online by going to WFDU.FM. But there's an even easier way for you folks who aren't in the New York, New Jersey area and don't want to have to get up at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on a Sunday morning. You can listen to it anytime you want just by clicking the handy links over on our Facebook page. So go on to Facebook. You're probably already on Facebook. Look for the Vintage Rock and Pop Shop. Like it, live it, love it. And thanks. <laughs>